0: Kia ora, I'm Sarah Robson, and today on The Detail, what makes a treasure a treasure?
1: It's extraordinary.
0: Just knock people out when they saw it. Wall-to-wall national treasures. You can do what you like with your own private property, but what about when that property is an item of national significance? In the last few months, there have been stories about priceless cultural artefacts, paintings, photos and memorabilia from New Zealand's recent past either being lost overseas dumped at the Fairfax
1: archives a massive and irreplaceable archive of historically significant photographs.
2: They include photos of the Rainbow Warrior sinking, photos of Sir Edmund Hillary's ascent of Mount Everest
0: or lost to private ownership.
2: One of the country's most significant collections of art,
3: owned by the Bank of New Zealand, is about to go under the hammer. Because the collection had been in public hands when the collection was put together, there has been some anger that the works weren't first made available to New Zealand's many museums.
0: An opportunity for New Zealanders to become custodians of these pieces, which will never be in the same room altogether like this ever again. And at the centre of it all is a funny piece of law. Under the Protected Objects Act, the Ministry for Culture and Heritage has the power to refuse permission to export photos over 50
3: years old. But it turned out that Fairfax Media didn't know about that when it did that deal.
0: Now, the law couldn't stop BNZ's sale of important New Zealand paintings or a bunch of rare photos being shipped overseas. But oddly enough, it did manage to stop the... This.
2: this family row over Sir Edmund Hillary's collection of Rolex watches, due to go under the hammer in Geneva, uh, there's a possibility that they'll decide whether these are protected New Zealand objects.
0: So how far should a nation go to protect and preserve its unique cultural treasures? Charles Nino is the Director of Art at Webb's Auction House. Who are your favourite New Zealand artists?
2: Oh, look, it's, it's no secret that I'm a big Bill Hammond guy, and because of that, you know, we've got all the records for Hammond. I'm a big Tony Fomerson guy, and again, we've got all the records, all the top prices for Tony Fomerson, and I'm a big Colin McCann guy. And again, I mean, we recently sold the most expensive painting by Colin McCann ever, which we achieved around 2.5 million for, Oof. which was a great privilege, a great honor.
0: And that sale broke the record for the highest price fetched for a New Zealand artwork at auction. And it was Webb's that managed the sale of BNZ's art collection. And how do you see your role? You know, you're talking about $2.5 million for a Colin McCann, but what's your role in terms of art as a cultural kind of signifier and balancing the yes, we need to make a commission with also protecting?
2: Of course. It's all about protecting the objects because... There's this stereotype about, you know, collectors who buy things and um, put them in a storage unit that's locked up and they never see them. But it's really just not true. Um, people who buy these works are putting them in their homes. Uh, they are buying them because they love them first and foremost. And the thing is, when someone pays, say, $2.5 million for something, you better believe they're going to take good care of it.
0: And who's buying art these days? Is it, is it mostly private collectors or who else is sort of out there in the market?
2: Uh, It's mostly private collectors. Uh, Museums have relatively limited funds to buy artworks and so they don't buy as regularly as one might think.
1: The auction house Art and Object sold the entire Christopher Parr collection for just over half a million dollars. But institutions bought just 75 of the 300 items. The rest went to private buyers.
2: A lot of museums, in order to make their purchases, will have to sort of tap collectors on the shoulder and do a bit of fundraising in order to make the purchases happen. We do sell to museums, and, you know, this year we've sold quite a bit to museums, but by and large, all these high prices that you're seeing for New Zealand art, they are being paid by private individuals.
0: And according to Nino, these private individuals who want to buy New Zealand art aren't overseas, they're locals.
2: I think that in terms of uh, prices, we'd get much higher prices if, New Ze- if people overseas were buying New Zealand art. But the reality is that, that really it's New Zealanders that are buying New Zealand art. So if somebody buys a Colin Macan, they're either going to be a New Zealander or someone who has an affinity with New Zealand. So they might have spent time here or they might live here part of the time. You know, I'd love to say that the Rothschilds were um, buying Macan uh, because that make my job a lot easier, but they're not, and so there isn't really a danger of these objects being lost, because uh, it's it's there isn't a global demand for them. If you know suddenly all of the world's billionaires turned onto this idea of New Zealand art and started buying it, I'd probably make a lot more money. But um, aside from that, no, we're not we're um, not we're not losing out. No.
1: Well, the big art auction went off with a bang. The first part of this BNZ art sale conducted yesterday of the 50 pieces up for grabs, every one of them sold.
0: The BNZ art sale. Describe for me the calibre of the work that was... That a++. Was plus an, plus. A++? Plus plus? A++, plus
2: plus, yeah. It was an amazing collection. The collection was uh, assembled by the legendary Wellington art dealer, uh, Peter McCleavey. The BNZ
3: collection is not just for BNZ... It's uh, for the citizens of Wellington, and indeed it's for our nation. It is not just a BNZ feature. It is for anybody and everybody that wishes to take the trouble to have a look.
2: There aren't any other corporate collections like that that have been assembled by someone who was basically one of the pioneers who invented the market for New Zealand art. And because of that, because he had great access to works and a great eye, he assembled what was essentially, yeah, it was, a, it was a collection about us, about New Zealand, about who we were at that time, and the quality was exceptional.
0: Among the best you've auctioned off as a kind of group of work?
2: Definitely the best, yeah. Like a, a, a one of the great privileges of my career.
1: The Bank of New Zealand art collection is a cultural treasure trove. It holds works by many of the nation's leading artists, including Colin McCann... Rita Angus, Evelyn
2: Page and Gordon Walters. Helen Clark believes millions of dollars worth of art belongs to the state and should not be sold by the BNZ. The former Prime Minister wants the Ministry of Culture and Heritage to intervene.
0: Did it throw up any issues in terms of how art is viewed, seen, dealt?
2: Mm. I think it was really interesting, all of the coverage around that. You know, I think it was quite good because it's so rare that there is any sort of like coverage in the media about protecting our heritage and protecting our culture. And so I thought it was really healthy. Yeah. Yeah
0: the works were sold to, obviously, people in New Zealand or who had links to New Zealand. Do you know where, where they might end up? There's any indications that they might be donated or anything? Anyone got some philanthropic ambitions with it?
2: So um, some museums bought some, and where the others will end up is in New Zealand. Yeah, absolutely, in New Zealand. And the thing is that pretty much every single time a museum has uh, approached us about loaning a work that we've sold, um, you know, obviously we go and speak to the collector who bought it, but uh, I can't think of a time where I've approached a collector about loaning a work to a show or making it available to be photographed for a publication where they haven't said yes. So just because works are owned by private individuals doesn't mean that they are not available to the public.
0: But nor is protecting art as simple as stopping it from going overseas. And our laws in that space may not be that strong anyway. The detail co-host Sharon Brick Kelly spoke to Rod Thomas, an art and property law lecturer at AUT.
1: Does the Protected Objects Act do its job in terms of art?
3: I think the Protected Objects Act... Which of course, was 1975, and it was partly amended in 1986 to bring it up to date is a bit of a funny act. It's intended to cover archaeology, it's intended to uh, protect Ahonga in terms of Maori objects, and it's intended to um, deal with the export market. So I think it deals with each of those in quite an uneven way. The interesting thing is that a lot of overseas jurisdictions have quite mixed. Legislation when it comes to this sort of issue. They're very, very tight on it in the EU because there's so much in terms of artefacts that are stolen from places like Italy that they've actually had to up their game. One of my main criticisms, and it's not so much of the Act, but what I think we should be doing, is having a regime to protect art, to actually protect art which is different from the issue of exporting art. Mm. So as far as exporting art is concerned, and of course this whole issue arose because of comments made in the BNZ auction sale, that of course you know these works were protected because you can stop them from going overseas. But in actual fact, the Protected Objects Act is, is quite uneven in that regard because the work has to be older than 50 years. So that means it has to have been created prior to 1972. And also it has to be fairly uh, unique. And the chief executive, in terms of giving an export licence, has to give consideration to whether the work, if it is exported, will substantially diminish New Zealand's cultural heritage. That's a big ask. That's a very big ask. So in terms of the BNZ sale, I think that comment was probably a bit casually made because although the works that were sold there were signature works, you know, great works of art, to say that they would substantially diminish New Zealand's cultural heritage is, is another step. And also it would only apply to art that was older than 50 years. And a lot of the signature works in that collection that were sold were um, created well after 1972. So that's the export side. Yeah. But I think there's another side too, which is what we do to protect and enhance and value art in terms of it being in New Zealand.
1: Well, is anything being done at the moment?
3: OK, well, here I have to say that I, I've got an idea. You may not know about Van Och's uh, Dr Gaucher
0: He's talking about a painting by Vincent van Gogh, for those of us who aren't art experts – or native Dutch speakers it
3: was purchased at Christie's in uh, 1990 for 82.5 million, making it the highest price for a painting sold at auction until 2006. It remains one of the most expensive painting sales in history. When the collector, the Japanese collector, uh, Mr. Sato, purchased it, he said when he died, he wanted to burn the painting and have it with him in the coffin, and when he died. Nobody saw the painting for a considerable period of time. And everyone thought, my God, you know, one of Vincent's paintings, one of his signature works of art that is collectively part of our humanity, has just disappeared. And I'm, I'm a property lawyer at heart. Most of my academic teachings around property law. You know, I, I can tell you, Sharon, that if I own something, one of my instinctive rights is to destroy it. Mm. Why not? I own it. Mm. Uh, Let it deteriorate. Why not? I own it. You know? So it seems to me that it's interesting that if I owned uh, a van ock, I could put my foot through it with impunity, but yet we've got all these controls and regulations about exporting art, but nothing about looking after art. And in my mind, I thought, well, let's just compare that with, say, historic places where we protect historic places, You've got categories of protection.
2: Wellington City Council is increasing its character precinct areas by nearly half.
1: Auckland Council's been dealing with the hot potato of protecting character homes versus building high-density housing.
3: And if a house or a site has an historic value and a categorisation, then you can be prosecuted for going on it, for damaging it, for misusing it, for destroying it. In my mind, I thought... Wouldn't it be neat if we could develop a list of signature artworks which are important to New Zealand, important to who we are, and have that as a protected list?
1: We don't have that?
3: No, nothing like that at all. No, no, no. The closest we've got to it is under the Protected Objects Act. The chief executive can uh, is instructed to make a list of objects of um, cultural significance to New Zealand. So that's nothing to do with art. Mm. Potentially, something could be on that list that is an artwork. But by statutory direction, that list is secret. It's not published. So what I'm talking about, I suppose, is something that could be a bit controversial, but I quite like that because people could say, that work abouts a load of rubbish. That shouldn't be on the list. And other people say, well, have that work on the list. And this is different from export. But I just think it would be a neat thing to do to have a regime that was something comparable to historic places because we do have some works of art in New Zealand and uh, I can identify them for myself, but other listeners may disagree, where I think if those works were destroyed or disappeared, people would say, culturally, we have lost part of our identity.
1: But presumably also that list you know, is not a historic art list. It's got to be contemporary art as well. You know, it doesn't have that Mm. 50-year rule because there's lots of great New Zealand art that's being made now.
3: Well, you see, isn't that interesting? Because somebody said to me, Rod, we haven't really got enough heritage to get serious about protecting it. And I responded, and I'm talking about post-colonialisation, and I responded, because we probably don't have a lot, that means we've got to protect it even more. And I think there's two things, Sharon. There, There is the idea and then criticising the idea. And I tend to get a bit irritated about people who knock around the fringes and say, well, it's not good for this reason or that reason, it would be very hard. I mean, the, the tax laws are full of holes, but nobody's suggesting we shouldn't have tax laws.
1: Getting back to the BNZ sell-off... Yes. So, did, so the argument was that, no, all these artworks were protected because they didn't leave the country. Is that correct?
3: If I can just tweak that slightly, I think the, the strongest the argument, argument was put was these works will be sold at auction and they will be sold to New Zealanders and it was suggested that if any of those people wanted to export the artwork, they may have a problem.
1: They would have to apply. Because they'd
3: have to apply. Yes. And I think that was probably not an accurate reflection of where we end up, because the way I've described the Act to you, the work has to be older than 50 years. Mm. And although you have to get the consent of the chief executive of the Ministry of Culture, he would consider whether the export of the work would substantially, substantially, big word, uh, diminish New Zealand's cultural heritage. And a lot of those works were great works of art, but that's quite a strong test. You know, you, you may have a, a really good McCann, but there are other really good McCanns too.
1: And it's so subjective too, isn't it? To say whether something is, you know, if something leaves the country, it's going to diminish our cultural heritage.
3: Yeah, well, the chief executive, when he makes a decision, has to get the opinion of two experts. But substantially diminishes is. They're big words. You know, they're big words. And remember, there are private property rights, you know, coming into play as well. So if I just spent $12 million on a McCann and I want to move to Sydney, I, I'll probably want to know, hey, why can't I take my McCann with me? So you go to the chief executive and he says, well, this will substantially diminish New Zealand's cultural heritage. And you say, really? I'll take you to court.
1: And also, I mean, what is... What is really wrong if it's a private buyer, mm. what's the difference between them putting that artwork in their house here in mm. New Zealand or taking it over to Sydney or to London or to wherever else? I mean what is it's it's in private it's going to be sitting in a private house, so what does it matter? I mean there's going to be very few people looking at it whichever way
3: yeah, well you may have a point, but the the act was legislated after some UN conventions that were um, agreed to post the Second World War, where during the Second World War a lot of art had been stolen by the Nazis and distributed all over the world, and the whole thing was a real mess. And as a consequence of of that, um, the UN collectively got together and said cultural heritage is important, and you know, you can't willy nilly take cultural heritage from Italy, from Greece, from Israel, uh, from France. Cultural heritage is important. In fact, one of those conventions, which is the Convention for Protection of Cultural Property in the Event of Armed Conflict, has actually got a really nice preamble because it says that cultural property belongs to humankind. And it's important for a uh, collective understanding of who we are as human beings. And, and it's important that people should be able to look after their cultural identity and keep it. And we should have controls.
0: One of the issues that's been raised here is the relatively empty pockets of our galleries and museums. They simply don't have the cash to compete with private buyers if they want to take ownership of a national treasure on our behalf. But Rod Thomas says there are possible solutions from overseas in the form of tax breaks.
3: The idea was first promoted by Helen Clark, mm-hmm. who said in Australia you can actually donate works of art from key collections to galleries and get a tax rebate. And in New Zealand you can't do that. So public galleries in New Zealand do not have any real money to buy art at all, they rely on donations, except for a small amount to Papa Gets. So, wouldn't it have been great for the BNZ collection to have provided an incentive to the BNZ because they can get a tax break to actually give that work as a collection to something like the Auckland Art Gallery or to Papa? And overseas jurisdictions that we relate to have this rule. But if you go to overseas art galleries, they're far richer in terms of content than New Zealand ones because we don't have this rule. And it would be, I think, an easy rule to put in place.
2: You know, I think that there is nothing wrong with more donations being made to museums and if tax incentives help that, then I think that would be a positive thing. I'd also say, though, that museums can only take on so much and so... Increasing the amount of objects that are donated to museums is not necessarily going to be a positive or useful thing. Every artwork a museum buys, there is a cost associated with that. They have to look after that object uh, pretty much for eternity. Sometimes museums have deaccessioned, but it's usually extremely controversial uh, and so it very seldomly happens. And so museums are very careful about what they take on and I don't think that increasing that burden uh, for no good reason is a, is a particularly positive thing. Uh, I have seen how it works overseas and it's only a little bit of a tax break, right? So it's not going to encourage people to give uh, artworks that they would otherwise receive quite a big sum for at auction uh, to museums, and what generally happens i 've seen this happen in Australia is that uh, people tend to donate things that they would otherwise find difficult to sell and people tend to use that option once they 've exhausted all uh, attempts at selling and the same thing is with say contemporary art where often when you buy contemporary artwork you won 't be able to resell it for the same price or more you might take a small loss if you sell it quickly, Uh, those are the kinds of works that tend to get donated. Uh, And I don't think that it's going to see works that uh, would be highly prized on the secondary market suddenly rerouted to museums, to be honest. Art is quite an amazing thing in that You know, you can use it as much as you like, but it never gets used up, right? So you can look at a painting, think about a painting as much as you like, but it doesn't mean that it's in any way diminished. So I think that's what makes artwork so special, is that they have these long lives. And I think it's really interesting, Uh, the things that societies choose to keep, that says a lot about the society. And everyone in the business is very well aware of our role in that in that um, long life cycle that's a lot longer than our own life cycle. So I haven't seen any reason um, why there needs to be any more regulation.
0: That's it for today. I'm Sarah Robson. The detail is public interest journalism funded through NZ On Air and produced by Newsroom for RNZ. You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. Today's episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansel and produced by Bonnie Harrison and Emile Donovan. And thanks to Charles Nino and Rod Thomas. Matewa.